I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Come correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. It is a great honor and pleasure to have as my guest Sama Abdul Hadi, one of my co-conspirators on the Atlas Underground Fire album. She is known as the Queen of Palestinian Techno, which is quite a moniker to have. I'd like to have that on my business cards. But we did uh, a song together. It was a real, she's like one of my favorite musicians <laughs> in the world right now. And thanks very much for coming on the show, Sama. How are you? Um, well, it's my honor actually to be here. Like, you know, following you as a legend and rage as, you know, as a message and as like a whole ideology is... It's overwhelming, you know. The whole idea is overwhelming. Yeah. Well. And thank you for having well, me. Well, of course, it's 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 my pleasure. And on the shore of eternity is the song that we did together for the Atlas Underground Fire record, which we'll talk about in a bit. So walk me through it. So you are, I mean, techno music and Palestine are not necessarily two things that traditionally have gone together until you. So just tell me, like, what's your story? <laughs> so I I started DJing when I was like nine, but it was more of like the commercial radio music. And then um, I went to study in Lebanon and all of a sudden I heard electronic music and it just took me to this completely different place. You know, I went through the whole phase of like listening to whatever my parents listened to, then going into hip hop and then going into rap, uh, into rap and rock. And, you know, and then all of a sudden I found myself in a techno club. And I was just shocked by the sounds. I didn't understand what instruments were there mm -hmm. because they were not. And um, I just really dove into it. So I went and studied audio engineering and music production. And I got really into synthesis and granular synthesis in specific. And it just went on from there. And I just honestly wanted to DJ just for fun with my friends at home. You know, just every time I go back home, I just make a party, we dance, etc. And that's it. But then just all of a sudden it's my career. I have no idea what happened. It's just a roller coaster. So, so, so where did your career begin? There's not a techno scene in Palestine, I'm, um, I'm guessing. The first time I heard yeah. techno, there wasn't then, yeah. So when I first heard techno, uh, 2008, it was in Lebanon. And then I just took some music from that and took it back home to Palestine and did a party. Obviously, it didn't work the same way as it did in real places where they had techno. Yeah. Um, so I kept working on the scene, but it was a side thing that I was doing. I was an audio engineer living in Egypt, working on film sound and music and that was it techno was just the fun side thing i was doing to just kind of express myself and let out whatever mm. i want to let out it is my way of mm. letting go and that's that's how it started and that's uh, how it started growing all of a sudden we started having djs in palestine people wanting to do more there people that are organizing big events bringing djs from everywhere and now we have a scene, like a scene scene, and it's really underground, so that makes it so yeah. strong. Well, that's amazing. I mean, I, I remember I read about, as I was, it was in the middle of lockdown, and, you know, hadn't seen a soul for months, and I was working on music as a way to just, you know, kind of make it through Tuesday. You know, like it was, it wasn't, I'm going to make a record, it's just like, I have to find a way to have some 
expression and remain human during an inhumane time, right? And I was reading about, I was reading. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. COVID, COVID did that. <laughs> I was reading, I was reading about you and looked and looked up your music and I was just, I thought it was fantastic. And so I reached out and so I'd like to hear your version of this. I'll, I'll tell you mine and I'd like to hear your version of this. So, so I reached out and to, to work together and, and you were agreeable to that. And like I said, I'll send you some stuff. So I, you know, I'm up here with my Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin riffs, you know, rocking away. And I sent you some stuff and you're like, I, this sounds great, but I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, I'm like, thank you for your honesty. And how about you send me something? <laughs> and I was, I was like, thank you so much for your honesty. And then you sent me a couple days later, you sent me this gorgeous, like hypnotic sort of Arabic trance track, like something that was completely outside of my wheelhouse and my experience and, and which I loved. And I was like, now I have to respond to this. And, you know, and I, I just put on the headphones and kind of try to be quote in the band and put on kind of my Coltrane ears or whatever. I just tried to lose myself in it. I did three takes through this kind of eight minute thing and sent it back to you, which, and that became sort of the bones of on the shore of uh, eternity. Uh, so what was your experience like from the beginning of it? Cause I, I, it was pretty funny when we first connected. Yeah, honestly, because the thing is, um, so first of all, when I got booked for Coachella, I saw that Rage Against the Machine is on the lineup. And I was like, wait, what? How how are Rage Against the Machine on the lineup? And then I discovered that the comeback of Rage was in Coachella. And I was going to witness that. Like, as a person, I couldn't believe that that was real. So I remember I texted you on Instagram. Obviously, you didn't see it because why would you see it? And then a year and a half later, Coachella got postponed because of COVID, etc. And a year and a half later, you're texting me on my Instagram, and I'm like, say what now? <laughs> of course, yes, I want to do a track. I'll do anything you want, man. Just do it. Say yeah, it. I'm there. Yeah. Um, and then I remember you called me, and I was just like, oh, my God, his voice is exactly the same as his voice in an interview. This is just wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> what am I? What? You know, and then you send me all, all these uh, guitar, and I'm just like, I'm, I used to be a um, guitarist, trying to be a guitarist. Um, and, you know, it's like, and I kept trying. I actually spent so much time working on the things you sent me. And I'm like, I can't send this to him. No way, no way, no way, no way, no way. Like, he actually contacted me. That means he actually sees, no way, I'm not, this is not good enough, not good enough. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe because usually I do it this way. I take somebody's music and I mess it up. But I couldn't, like with yours, also I couldn't. Like, there's nothing to mess up with yours, you know. So I was like, maybe we should do it the other way around. So I sent you the thing I was working on and I was so shocked you loved it. And then when you sent me everything, it just started kind of making sense. It kind of like made me breathe a little bit like, okay, I don't have to like now create something from scratch. Now I can just like work with everything that we have. And that made it like a, a bit easier. And also you were a lot of help because also I was sending you a lot of requests and yeah. I'm like, can you actually do this and this and, and this way and that way? And I don't know how, I didn't know how you were going to take that. And it was brilliant that we were going this back and forth and we had this full on honest, like, I like this. I don't like this. It's, yeah. yeah, let's do that. You know? And I like that experience because that's how I learn. And that's how hopefully I'll one day become that legendary wall with you guys. <laughs> It, uh, I mean, I, I really like the fact, like, how the song 
for me, just started heading into kind of unexplored territories. It felt like it was something different than what you had done before, and it was certainly something different than what I had done before, you know? It really was like literally like a cross-cultural collaboration, and that's the, you know, here I was completely alone for that year here, and yet was creating like these kind of musical pen pals around the world and having this this real like musical connection at a time where there was where there was none where there's no like personal connection so it was really helpful and i love that jam yeah. and i wanted because I, one of the things that was important both the atlas underground fire record and the atlas underground flood record they both start and end with instrumentals and i wanted it to is like a way of saying that like as you help provide me with one avenue to help bring the electric guitar into the future. The electric guitar has a great past, but its future is uncertain, you know, and I'm like really was looking for ways to explore that future with great artists like yourself. So anyway, I appreciate you. And uh, and one, one thing about that, so then we had to like, we had to name the song and it's an instrumental song. So there's not like some big hooky, hooky chorus or something. I think we went, went back and forth with a couple of things, but just to tell the, the, the song is called On the Shore of Eternity. Saladin, who was sort of the great leader of the, uh, Arab world who defeated the Crusaders, he referred yeah. to Jerusalem as the city on the shore of eternity. So we chose that as our title. Oh, and then one more, my gosh, and the, and the most dramatic part of the recording is like during the mixing of it was during the Israeli bombing of Palestine, right? Yeah. We were like finalizing it and going through protests and like sending each other and like we had to be. The yeah, there were like delayed. a couple of days where like I wouldn't hear from you. I'm like I are, and I'm watching the news. And I'm like, are you all right? And so anyway, it was a song that really was a came through a trial by fire, but it's 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 beautiful and I'm and I appreciate appreciate you. That is true. It was there in such a tough period in my life, and it kind of also took me through it. Like even if you if you kind of listen to the track, like it starts a bit like hard and, and darkish and then it starts going brighter and then at the, at some point you kind of like see it going as if it's a celebration of of something yes. you know like something great yeah. or whatever yeah. but it, it it kind of like yeah. it kind of sounds like the beginning of my year like that's literally the first seven months of my year that's how yeah they looked i would like to hear about you going to jail for playing music oh damn that was horrible so I was filming something for Beatport and it had to do with cultured places in Palestine and musicians from Palestine or the Arab world because one of the episodes was based on the Arab world. It was going through DJs that are based in Iran, in Damascus, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan and in Palestine. And that was the whole point. The whole point of the whole show was showcasing, first of all, that we are normal people on the side of the world and we also do music, and that there is beauty to the dark side that they see as well. Because, as you know, media only shows one side in life. And one of the shows just went south because I guess we chose a bad location. And when we took the permits, also the government didn't think that it was going to go that far or that anything was going to happen because they did turn it to a cultural place and nothing happened before. And that's it. And things went south and there was a public opinion case and people went crazy about it. They went and burnt the location. So I had to go to prison for eight days for investigation of what was happening in that party. And I'm just looking at them like there was literally six cameras and you can see the footage. I was filming a, a stream. So I have six cameras. So if you need to convict me, I have the proof for that. And if you, if you want a proof of my innocence, I have a proof for that. You know, like I said, I'm not trying to do anything dodgy because I have cameras there. 
and it's like 4 p.m you know it's like not that late but it just went overboard and at the end of the day we don't have um that much of a like i don't know our government is very new they don't like the whole point of our government it was made in like 94 i was like four i was alive when our government was made so they've never had a case like this before and our whole thing is always like Palestine versus Israel, you know, and, and that is the thing. It's people asking for their liberation against the occupier. We never had a case that was this internal, that they were like, oh, but it's, what, what do we do now? You know, what, you know, and then, I don't know, like they just did a public opinion case. They sent me to prison. And then the investigation went on for eight days, which I don't know why. But at the end, they found that I'm not alone in it. There's like 60 people in the, the whole case from people that signed permits to the people that went and came and broke into our filming to the people that went and burned the place the next day. Everybody did something wrong, you know? So they just put it on the side and they said they, they're going to go to court. But I don't know. I'm just waiting for that court to happen. Yeah. So I, I, I heard that there were like a hundred thousand <laughs> signatures, though, of people like standing up for you to get you out of jail. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's why I, they couldn't put me as a scapegoat because that's where it was going. Like I was getting all the blame, and then when the petition came up and they started getting these calls and the truth started coming out, like the permit that I got came out, everything started coming out. So they couldn't kind of hide it any anymore. I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. My guest is DJ Sama Abdul Hadi, the queen of Palestinian techno, and my collaborator on the Atlas Underground Fire record. You said a very interesting thing in some interview that you said that, like, techno saved you from anger. What do you mean by that? Okay, when I said techno saved me, I think I was, uh, when I said it, it was bef way before yes, that. Yes, it was yes, about, yes. This... Um, so I was this really angry kid growing up through war. And I was a very, like, a big, like, activist. And, like, I really wanted to free Palestine. I was pissed off at everything, pissed off at the world. And it's one of the reasons why my parents were, like, go and study somewhere outside of Palestine. I wanted to study there. I never wanted to leave. A lot of things really made me mad. And I was also listening to rap and rock, which also is very much anger-based. So you're always letting out anger and speaking about your anger issues and... So you never actually disconnect from your anger. You express it a lot, which is healthy, but you never leave it. And when I went to Lebanon and the first time I went to a techno party, honest hand to God, no drugs, no nothing. I used to drink only water. I wouldn't drink alcohol because I didn't want to get drunk and have to go home. Pure water, that's it. But the music would disconnect me from reality and just take me to a different place. And it's the only hours I didn't think about Palestine and wasn't talking about Palestine. I wasn't pissed off at anybody. Mm. It was the only time I was just letting go and I would be like, oh damn, it's been six hours. Okay, I needed that. And that's why I wanted to take that music and take it back home to Palestine because I felt like all my friends needed that disconnection from where they are and all the shit they're going through and they needed to let go. And that's why like, these these hours that I dance, like even till today on stage, I play every three times a week and I'm dancing like it's the last party of my life because it's like this this only time I get to do. It's, it's kind of like yoga to me, but I can't do long times of yoga. It just because it suffocates me. But yeah. <laughs> dancing and letting this out, it just like, I don't know. It just 
it's like therapy yeah. to me and it makes me smile and it makes me happy. So it really like it took all my anger issues out. So so let me ask this question. So I see because you're on you've been on tour, like you've been touring the globe. I mean, there were there were shows in South America recently. There were shows in yeah. Turkey. So do you feel at all when you're touring as a Palestinian musician that you're carrying the weight of the cause? You know, the music does not have lyrics. It's just like your existence as a female Palestinian DJ out in the world has a political implication. Do you feel that? Yes, very much. Yeah, because it's uh, mostly what, what anybody talks to me about. But it became kind of a burden and an honor in a way because at the end of the day, somebody has to speak about it. Nobody in the techno industry is from there. So at least I'm glad like I'm, I'm, I can speak about it and, and still do things in yeah, my life, yeah. you know? I believe that music like yours can have an important political impact without having any lyrics attached to it. For example, when Jimi Hendrix sort of reinvented the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock by weaving into it the like the sounds of the bombs of the Vietnam War and the sirens in the streets of the riots in Chicago, that that music it in itself was political like the music of public enemy and the cacophonic funk and the the layering of jazz and blues and rock music and beats sort of in itself created this kind of like rainbow of political activism even before chuck d's brilliant lyrics i've tried you know and and i'll also like in john coltrane's music like if you can think beyond the previous confines of an instrument to create something that is vital and new by force of creativity and will, can you imagine a society that is something that is new and different than what it's been before by creativity and will? And I hear that in your music as well. I mean, given your, from your background to your place of origin, to your gender, to your music, that without a single word, your music is very, very potent in a political way. It is because it is because it's also connected to me is the way I play it. It's the way I'm portraying it, even the way like it's it's just like the whole idea of who I am. Yes, the whole idea that they're seeing a female that is Arab, that is brown, you know, that is from that side of the world that for them is a bit odd or the other, you know, and that that other we need to break that otherness. And that's the thing that music has always been doing, because. If you look at music throughout history, it's always been something that is breaking boundaries and kind of resolving wars, literally. And after every war, there was something new that happened to music. And it kind of like, even techno, it kind of literally brought down the Berlin Wall in a way, because that movement was one, you know, the same as the hippie movement, the same as, you know, each each movement had its own thing. And now the problem is that people are always going to the point of, you're a musician, just, just stick to music, just do music. Music is about not revolutions, it's about love. And that's it. But no, but both are the same because love is a revolution because currently everything is pushing us to hate each other and to fight each other, etc. And... That's literally what, what the hippie movement was about. It's, it was about love. And that was, was what broke so many walls and so many barriers and so many issues in the world, racism, etc. Like, it's, it's just crazy how much it made a difference. It didn't need anything physics. It didn't need a nuclear bomb to make it. It's actually the opposite. It is the most basic things we have are just like 
being humans together and that's it and this is why i love festivals and i love i love these things because also the same people kind of switch they become they accept the place they're in and they respect the place they're in because it has the music and because it has this love yeah whatever vibe. their differences might so be when they walk in that they're they united, just they're united turn. by the music yeah Exactly. Yeah. They just changed because of the respect for the music. They respect the speakers. They want to dance. They don't want the dancing to get done. So that's why nothing happens there. But you go anywhere else and it's like craziness in the world. <laughs> and that's why I love dancing. That's why techno saved me, basically, because I stopped being an angry person. Yeah. And I became a person that just like gets off stage and needs a t 10 hugs minimum. <laughs> the crowd. It's like the best feeling in the world. And while and while techno may have curbed Honestly. your anger, it is also I think heightened your potency, you know, as an advocate for freedom and liberation too, by sort of bringing the, bringing that message via the vehicle of your music around the globe in a way that creates this kind of international solidarity. So that's my take. Tell me about your collective union. I read was reading about that, and that sounded very interesting to me. That sometimes you're the DJ, and sometimes you take ticket yeah. tickets at the door. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant because that that's literally the community. So we're all friends since forever. That's the, also the one thing that is nice about uh, Palestine is that it's very locked up. So we cannot, nobody comes to visit. We cannot, nobody really leaves that much. So we're the same people. We grew up together. Nobody knew is going to come all of a sudden. Same people all the time. So everybody knows each other and that made, makes it a community. And we made just this, like whoever wants to party, some people just are good at building stages. Some people just want to do techie stuff and build light shows. Some people come do the graffitis. A guy comes and opens a pizza corner. And the whole thing is that we all prepare it together. We decide on the artists together. Everybody gets paid the same, which is basically nothing really. Um, <laughs> but the whole point of it is that we're making it for us and whoever wants to join in. Um, so sometimes like if, if I'm the DJ, then we're about like 20, 25 people and we do a two stage, 20 DJ, 10 hour nights. So we have ticketing constantly, people coming in and out. You have bathroom duties, you have cleaning up, you have DJ lineups and people switching the audio engineers, and but we don't have any of that in Palestine. We don't have a club, so there are no bouncers. There, there's no a lot. Like there's a guy that comes and gives us his audio equipment, and we put it up. It's not the best sound system, but we kind of make it, and we're the audio engineers throughout the night. And the light guys are from us, and we all teach each other everything. So we teach. Like there's another audio engineer, and we both teach everybody else audio engineering. So if we're not there, they can handle it. The lights guy came and set up everything. And kind of made it dumber for us. Yeah. So we all know how to mess with the lights if we yeah. need to. So he's made it into like this one, two, three, four remote control. So we just have basics. And and that's the thing. So even like the the what is in the place. So the couch that's in the chill out, chill out room is our friend's couch from his house. He brings it every weekend and goes home. The light bulbs are <laughs> and from then he our brings house. the couch. Everything and he brings the couch is like home. DIY. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or it just stays for a couple months. Um, and the, the whole place anyways is like in a kitchen under the ground. It's in the restaurant's kitchen that we took. So the DJ booth is actually the stove. The lights are going through the ducts. It's not really a club. We just take any place that would give us the place, turn it into a club until the police find out about it and don't let us do parties there. And then we go and find another place until they find us again. <laughs> 
And that's literally the story of my life since I was but, maybe 15. Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, Sama, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and thank you so much for your contributions to the my record. And it's been just great to get to know you and as a you know, as an artist and as a friend. And I hope to one of my great hopes is that we are able to perform this song live somewhere sometime on, on the shore of eternity or elsewhere. <laughs> yes. I have to send you, uh, I just played it in Turkey last weekend. I have to send you the video. I'm just waiting. Oh, for great. So you, you, you played our song, you played My our song live. My phone is so awesome. full. Awesome. Awesome. In the arena, I told you. It, it, it needs, a, it needs arena. an arena to, to do it justice. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can't wait to, to, to share that with everybody. But <laughs> but safe, safe travels. See you. And yeah, we're so going to fix it. We're going to fix it. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, safe, safe travels, and thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it's a real honor. It's been a real honor rocking with you on the shore of eternity on the record. So, everybody, until next time, this has been Tom Morella with Sama wow. Abdulhadi. Take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again, or listen to past shows right now on the Sirius XM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.